Hey, what's up? You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show podcast. Thanks for checking it out and make sure you subscribed. Hammer and Nigel. Do you believe these characters are weirdos? On 93 WIBC. So let's rock Hey now, my name is Jason Hammer. Big Nige is still out with the monkey pox, which means <laughs> sitting in the hot seat, dare I say writing shotgun. Oh, I love that. The gun guy, Guy Relford is here. And Guy, today is the perfect day to have legal representation on this show. There you go. Because we've got an awful lot of legal stuff to get to. Crime, punishment, judges. Legal stuff. And there's a lot of it. So let's start with the biggest story of the day. A special judge in Monroe County has granted a preliminary injunction blocking Indiana's new abortion law, which means as of right now, while the legal process has its wheels rolling, the abortion ban is no longer in effect. As somebody who is a lawyer and attorney take us through this yeah and when a preliminary injunction issues jason there are a couple things um that are uh, boxes the judge has to have checked off and and what lawyers pay the most attention to is before you can uh, enter a preliminary injunction that prevents for instance in this case a law going into effect the judge has to have determined and this is what gets lawyers attention is that the the, the person filing the lawsuit to stop the law has a substantial likelihood of success on the merits. Okay, they, So the judge has to have looked at it and said, hmm, I think you're probably going to win down the road. A couple of other things. They have to say there's, you know, there's irreparable damage that could result. Um, there's, there's no other remedy available. But, that, but what gets all the lawyers' attention is substantial likelihood of success on the merits. So this is one judge in one county saying, mm, I think this law might be unconstitutional, okay? A couple of things to keep in mind. That doesn't mean they're ultimately going to win. That doesn't mean that if it goes up on appeal, either Indiana Court of Appeals, Indiana Supreme Court, or beyond, that the state won't win. It also means we need to take a look at where this came out of, because it is Monroe County. And look, you know, I'm, I, I've, I, I've litigated a lot in Monroe County, um, but it is not the most conservative of jurisdictions. Right. And so you have to look at that and say, all right, what does this really mean? I mean, I, I had a, a red flag case that came out of Monroe County that I took up to the Court of Appeals where the, the court found there was no basis for the court's decision to keep somebody's Second Amendment rights away from them, and, and it was a completely off-base decision. And and so I look at that and say, all right, it, it's significant because a judge has said there's a substantial likelihood the law is unconstitutional. However, it's just the first step in the process, so nobody should get too excited. And this kind of stems from the ACLU yes, lawsuit. Uh, they sued to block the ban. They argued that the Indiana the Constitution included a right to privacy and to make decisions on whether or not to have children. Now, the judge in this uh, injunction, the Monroe County judge, wrote uh, that whether a right to privacy exists in the state constitution is an open question. Now, listen, again, I'm not a lawyer here, but if you're somebody who's a judge and you know that there's a pretty decent chance that a trial like this or a lawsuit like this is going to be coming to your desk. Shouldn't you kind of understand what's in the Constitution and what's not in the Constitution? It feels like it's a really lazy, half-assed, kick-the-can-down-the-road kind of thing to do here. And and 
judges are human, right? And it could easily be a judge looking at this going, look, it's an emergency preliminary injunction. I'm not sure what the hell to do with this. So let's just call time out. Let's just pump the brakes, issue the preliminary injunction, and then spend more time really figuring it out. Because to break this down a little more, you know, the, the case that came down from the United States Supreme Court that set aside Roe v. Wade said there's no implied or otherwise right to privacy that includes the right to an abortion in the United States Constitution. So that issue is resolved, okay? That, that, that horse has left the barn. So what they've tried here now, uh, as far as the ACLU goes, is they've said, well, we've lost in terms of the United States Constitution having an implied right to privacy, therefore a right to an abortion. So let's say the Indiana Constitution has that same right in it, even though it's not spelled out, it's not explicit. And what undoubtedly the state's going to do here is they're going to come in and say, look, just like the Supreme Court justices said you can't just read words into the U.S. Constitution that don't exist, that aren't there, and and create a right out of whole cloth, just kind of piecing together some uh, subliminal arguments as to you know anything that actually is in the Constitution. Uh, they, they've taken a flyer at that argument as to the Indiana Constitution. There's no right to an abortion in the Indiana Constitution. Right. And so now we, we've just got to go forward and say, all right, is the Indiana Supreme Court at the end of the day or the Indiana Court of Appeals, if it doesn't go to the Supremes, going to come out with the same kind of an analysis we saw uh, in the decision from SCOTUS that set aside Roe v. Wade? And if I was a betting man, and obviously I know you are, um, <laughs> then I, I'd say that probably the same uh, result's going to obtain here. Right. You're seeing a big celebration from right. a lot of progressive and a lot of leftists today, but maybe that needs to be tempered just a little bit because there's a very good chance that this is going to go back to what the Indiana lawmakers who were elected to make these types of decisions decided on a couple of months ago. However, Hannah Smith, the spokeswoman for the Indiana House Democratic Caucus, released a statement, quote, the judge's motion today temporarily restored dignity to Hoosier women. Indiana Republicans continue to waste Hoosier taxpayer dollars after a costly special session to ban abortion. The GOP's endless crusade to disenfranchise women and girls of personal choice and autonomy have already cost our state countless dollars. And this lawsuit will surely add to the tab of hardworking folks. House Democrats will monitor the lawsuit as it moves through the judicial process. Yeah, and keep in mind what the SCOTUS decision that set aside Roe v. Wade really said. It didn't say that there's no, um, that, 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 that abortion should not be legal in, in the United States. It did not say that states couldn't ban abortion if they wanted to or couldn't um, guarantee abortion if they wanted to. They just said it's not a right guaranteed in the Constitution and should be left up to state legislatures. That's what SCOTUS said about the U.S. Constitution. I could easily see the Indiana appellate courts coming down saying exactly the same thing, which is it's a legislative issue. It's not a judicial issue. We can't create rights in constitutions that don't exist. If the legislature wants to protect abortion, it has the ability to do that. And if you as a citizen don't like whatever law they pass, either ban or guaranteeing uh, abortion or something in the middle, guess what? You have the ability to go to the ballot box and elect people that will do your bidding when they go into the legislature. And that's the legislative process as the, not only the United States Constitution, but the, but the Indiana Constitution guarantee it. And that's, that was the lo 
logic of the of the Supreme Court decision, I think that will probably be, be the logic here, where it simply is, look, it's a legislative issue. If you don't like the laws passed by the Indiana General Assembly, elect people that will pass laws more to your liking. States' rights. States' That's rights. That's what it all well, comes and, down and, to. And separation of powers, which is we don't create rights uh, by reading them into a constitution that don't otherwise exist, right? It's the legislature's job to make laws. We only protect constitutional rights that actually exist in the constitution. That's the point. So it's separation of powers is really the issue. But as we get closer and closer to the midterms here, Guy, we're less than seven weeks away from the midterms. Yep. Abortion is one of the big subjects. I don't don't think it's the biggest right. i think the first five should be the economy followed by crime followed by immigration and then if you want to get abortion in the mix go ahead but as of right now with what's happening here in indiana and some of the boneheaded stuff that lindsey graham is talking about yeah. are the democrats winning the pr battle this close to midterms with abortion now what i'm talking about with lindsey graham is that on august 7th not that long ago, August 7th, he says that this should be a state's rights issue when it comes to abortion. Well, just two days ago, Graham Nasty jumps on Fox and does a complete 180. Uh, this is not a state's rights issue. This is a human right issue. Um, at 15 weeks, a baby sucks its thumb. At 20 weeks, you're encouraged to sing to a child because Which they can- Which is what I am right now, I'm 20 okay, weeks. She's 20 weeks, folks. I, I don't care what California does uh, on most things. I care here. I am not going to sit on the sidelines in Washington, D.C. and tell the pro-life community Washington is closed for business. So I understand his feelings, but you can't go on the record a month and a half and say, I'm for states' rights, and then I'm against states' rights, and try to roll out some federal abortion ban. The timing is so bad on this guy. And Lindsey Graham will tell you, well, there shouldn't be a time frame on wanting to do the right thing. Listen, if I'm Mitch McConnell, I pull Graham Nasty to the side, and I have some strong words, yeah. because right now, the Republicans have the leverage. They see the economy numbers. We see what's happening at the border. The leverage is with the Republicans. But when Lindsey Graham goes out of his way to say, eh, you know what, maybe it's not a state's right issue, you give a little bit of leverage back to the left. You do, and, and, and you nailed it, Jason, because look, there, there's two different questions we ought to ask on important social issues like this. The second question you ask is what should the answer be right should there be a right should there not be a right um, should we protect abortion should we prohibit abortion that's the what decisions should we reach the first question though is who gets to decide and who gets to decide scotus said is state legislatures that's who gets to decide so for graham nasty i love him i love when you call him that but for lindsey graham to come out and 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 be more concerned about what we should decide than who should decide it he's he's swung and missed and that's a mistake on his part you're listening to the hammer and nigel show on 93 wibc Mondo, is this Leanne Womack? Leanne Womack, I hope you dance <laughs> right here on 97.1 Hank FM. <laughs> Man, back when I was working at uh, The Bear, when it was new hit country, I played this damn song every hour on the hour. It's a banger. 
It's not a banger. It's a, it's a I ballad. Love it. I like it. Yeah, I guarantee you that is the first time Leanne Womack and bangers have ever been using right. the same sentence. Right. I don't think no. so. No. <laughs> Tamando, like a fun, upbeat song from Bruno Mars, is the same as this ballad from Leanne Womack. <laughs> so the reason we're playing I Hope You Dance is this story from the Washington Post where they say therapists around the nation are seeing hope fatigue. Now, what hope fatigue is, is that so many people feel like the last couple of years from the COVID lockdowns to now inflation and supply chain issues, they've just they're tired of being optimistic, guy. They're tired of saying things are going to get better, only to be kicked in the crotch again. <laughs> yeah, you know, hope fatigue sounds like my love life in college. Is, what it, <laughs> is exactly what it sounds like to Didn't me. Didn't you date hope fatigue for a couple of years? <laughs> like she was a dancer in that one club, hope fatigue. Yeah, you know, you know she and she was related to you know, hope not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, uh, but this is such. Like an American first world problem, right? Yeah. Like we're so tired of being optimistic here. Like somewhere in Darfur, nobody's got power, nobody's got water, nobody's got food. And over here, we're running out of optimism. Well, you know, it's a really great point. But part of this, <laughs> by the way, is that is that everybody keeps getting all these promises, right? I mean, if okay. you if you if you pay attention to any of the politicians, particularly the Democrats, what do you keep getting? Oh, it's right around the corner. You know, inflation is transitory. Remember that? That's right. And, 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 two and weeks. To two stop weeks. The two weeks to flatten the curve. I mean, we get all these promises. How can you not get fatigued when those promises don't come true? It makes perfect sense to me. But to go to a therapist, like somebody who who's like outside burning themselves with a cigarette is not getting in because there's somebody that was upset because, well, things just aren't getting better. I yeah. Mean, there's a difference between having a mental illness and hope fatigue, I think. Yeah, and, and, and your likelihood of getting diagnosed with hope fatigue is directly proportional to the times you've ever needed a quiet space, you know, <laughs> to, 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 to go hug a teddy bear and be made feel better because there was a microaggression that was uh, directed at you. I guarantee you those things are all related. Uh, Guy Relford filling in for Big Nights today. All right. I want the opinion of the brain trust in this room. Do you think this was legitimate or is this a pre-planned stunt? There's a video going viral of a wedding singer who apparently didn't know that she was booked at the wedding of her ex-boyfriend. And she was there to sing the first song, which I believe was All of Me by John Legend. And the video shows the bride and the groom are dancing. But then the wedding singer, which is a lady, she goes into changing the lyrics to Before He Cheats by Carrie Underwood, <laughs> kind of singing it directly to the groom, saying that you cheated on me. This is the first dance. Oh, no. And this was not their song. Oh, my. You hear the crowd like, what? What just There might have, yeah. There might have been a WTF in there. Uh, yeah, no, I, that, um, first of all, how do you miss, uh, how does she miss who's actually getting married? I mean, you're the expert on this, Jason. Right. As a longtime wedding DJ, 
I mean, do you ever miss who's getting married? No. That's why I think this was a stunt. Yeah, that they makes sense. They did this intentionally to go viral. Nobody went up there and grabbed the microphone away from her. Nobody said, turn that down, turn that off, or something like that. They just all kind of played it up for the camera. Mondo? I come from the world of professional wrestling, and... <laughs> I think it's a little bit of a work on the ex-girlfriend's part, but as far as the ex-boyfriend, I think he was swerved. He had no idea that this was going to happen, but the ex-girlfriend, who's the wedding singer, she damn well knew what she was doing, Oh, and yeah. she probably had this plotted and planned for a very long time. In fact, I could see her flipping a, you know, a couple of Franklins to a different singer going, hey, why don't you let me step in for you on this particular wedding? Once uh, she got yeah. word of where, when, and... Uh, how am I going to be able to do this? She, yeah, she pulled it off yeah, to perfection. I'll tell you what, as a dude, though, what would the pucker factor be like when you're sitting there, you're waiting on your, your first dance, right, with your new bride, and you see your ex? I would hope that my bride would go knock her out. <laughs> but here's the thing. The first dance happens after the reception's been going. People of you already sat down. They've had cocktail yeah, you're, hour. Yeah. You're not seeing the wedding singer the very first time right before that first dance happens. So he had to have seen her. And if that's the case, just for argument's sake, if this was indeed legitimate, wouldn't he go up and go, hey, don't ruin everybody's time here because you're mad at me. This whole thing was a work. I'm not buying it. This it, is a work. It pretty much has to be, particularly in an age where people will do ungodly things just to get clicks on the internet, right? Just right. to get that viral video. I mean, how many people out there, their whole life goal at this point is to get a viral video. And you can see this working where everybody could have easily, actually, everybody involved could have conspired to make this happen. This could be a thruple situation. You're onto something <laughs> here, guy. No, I'm telling you. I mean, the bride and, and this girl could be best friends. And they went, wouldn't it be awesome right. if we staged this thing so everybody could have been in on it from the beginning. But the fact that this would happen unbeknownst to the principals involved, nah, I'm not buying that. We don't even know if this was the legitimate ex of the groom. We don't know yeah. this at all. I think we are all being taken for a ride here. Exactly. One thing I do have to say, though, just sitting right now, Jason, is, is I don't know how many weddings you've done as a DJ. I mean, it's got to be, what? Probably close to four or five hundred. I was going to say triple figures easy, right? And by the way, I have performed now eight wedding ceremonies. As a stripper? <laughs> oh, that's the bachelor party. That's the party. bachelor party. Oh, I'm no, sorry. No. Hey, man, we all got to get through law school somehow. <laughs> and don't judge don't judge me but no as the actual officiant who performs the wedding ceremony i've, yeah. now, I've done, now done eight weddings because lawyers can get sworn in as temporary judges and judges in indiana can do wedding ceremonies so i'm thinking the ultimate wibc wedding <laughs> for somebody out there would would, would have, have guy relford actually perform the wedding ceremony and have jason hammer be your dj how much fun would that be how much money would that cost because we're well, not doing it for cheap baby no well you know what we'll have to conspire on that that's right you have to be some Benjamins involved. We'll talk about that. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. <laughs> and we're back. The Hammer and Nigel Show, 93 WIPC. I'm headed downtown, cruising through the alley, in the street like ballet. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. I'm Jason Hammer. The gun guy, Guy Relford, in for Nigel today. So I've talked about this before. Guy, I'm not sure if you know this or not. Before every show, I walk a couple laps around Monument Circle just to get the blood pumping a little bit, get a few steps in. You know, some days it's a beautiful day. Just want to get some fresh air in. And I often count 
how many homeless folks I see just on the short walk around Monument Circle. Mm -hmm. It takes me about two and a half minutes to walk from one end of Monument Circle to the other end. And on the average day, I see probably nine to 12 homeless folks. And often it's the same people, right? Now you Correct. often see, you know, the lady who's knitting down there, who's been there forever. I mean, yeah, a lot of times you see the same people, but it's, yeah, about that number. And that counts both sides. So there's a side that's the closest to the actual soldier and sailor's monument. There's the street. And then on the other side where the businesses are at. Yep. So you count both sides, the people laying under the awnings of MS communications out there on those free chairs that some group provides uh, the folks over here under the awnings of the, the theater and then all the way around monument circle, like the area just over there by the Columbia club there are times, man, and I'm not saying this for effect, it looks like Jonestown. Yeah. There are just bodies laying all over the place. You've got to walk around the homeless. And, you know, I see the city or whoever it is come by and provide little grab bags to these folks of, like, cereal bars, bottles of water, things like that. And it's just a shame what downtown Indianapolis has come to. Because I remember when I was growing up, and again, I've lived in Indy, with the exception of the Ball State years, pretty much my entire life. Yep, me too. And downtown was like, if you went downtown, it was a big deal. You know, the big city, the the amazing stores and the restaurants, and you get to see the monument. And at Christmas time, when all the lights are up, it's such a cool thing if you could just keep it clean. Because now during the daytime, again, every single day, 9 to 12, just laying around. You'll see some feces once in a while. You'll see a needle once in a while. There was a guy that got busted uh, pleasuring himself in front of our building just a couple days ago. Two officers had to come by and basically remove him from doing that. And it's a shame what the city has turned into because it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. And, and I think the city you know, ought to be addressing two different priorities. But they go hand in hand. One is actually taking care of these people, right? right. I don't, I don't want to be heartless about it. I don't want to, like, throw them all in jail. If, to extent and that's they... why I don't record my walks. Some right. people have said, well, I don't believe you. Record it. I'm not trying to humiliate somebody no, that's exactly. sleeping on the street. I'm not trying to do that. But at the same time, the city is bringing them some sort of grab bags every day. Is that really beneficial? Well, as opposed to giving them a bed, you know, or or, or getting them some psychological, some you know, some uh, mental health treatment if they need it. Because I'm a guy who's what I, I sent a dude to jail who physically threatened me right. because I because I, I wouldn't give him money as I was walking up here to do Monday Gun Day on Hammer and Nigel. Um, and I'm I'm the same guy who had to walk around a dude who was urinating right on Monument Circle. I I didn't take a wide swath around this guy. So as, you know, to not have to need a new shoe shine after walking past this guy. And so, I mean, I'm right there with you. I always do a lap, too, because um, I, I, I love the city. But there ought to be two priorities. Get these people the help that they need, right? I mean, I want to be compassionate right. about it. We always get accused of not caring about the homeless when we complain about homeless. That's not the point at all. Let's get the people the help they need. But secondly, what kind of an image do you want to present, not only for the people who work here every day, like you, right? And I'm down here all the time. I live in the suburbs, but I'm down here 
here all the time for court or for radio or whatever it might be. What kind of image do you want to project to people who work here, live here, and people who visit here? Because you know, we have big name events here all the time. And miraculously, Jason, have you noticed that you know if we have a Final Four or we have a Super Bowl, um, you know we have a nationally televised you know, national championship game uh, for you know between Alabama and Georgia, the homeless people tend to disappear during that time frame. Right. What's different during that time frame? Because nobody announces that. Nobody talks about that from the city or the Department of Health. Well, the city uh, tries to cover up that they put them up in some hotels and they basically treat them like the Martha's Vig- Vineyard migrants. Is, is that true? I don't even know that. I don't know what they do with them, but they but they certainly have a different plan when they're actually worried about their image when we have a national event. What about day to day? What about caring to the you know caring about the everyday citizen who's here visiting you know their family from India and they want to come downtown and have a meal or they want to come downtown and go to IRT or they want to come down and go to a Pacer game. I mean, what about those people? And what about people who work here every day who have the option of not working in Indianapolis? You know, a lot of people can work virtually. A lot of people can go work wherever they want to. Why don't they care about those people? So I I, I question the priorities and I I question the plan because it doesn't appear that there is one. Imagine how much good could be done if you were able to take these folks, again, all around Monument Circle and over by the city market. That's where most of the feces you're going to oh, find. Oh, it's gross it's over by, over city, by the market. city market. It's nasty. Because I have to go past that when I'm on the way to the, the city county building, although now we have the new criminal justice center. But, oh, man, over by city market. And, man, I grew up at a time working downtown right out of law school. I went to the city market every single day for lunch. I could go in there and get a cheap lunch, right, as a broke law student or as a new lawyer. And I love the city market. I mean, it has a big place in my heart. And to look at the filth and the people passed out with needles in their arms, it breaks. It literally breaks my heart to see that in, in, in what I consider to be my city. And I was just thinking about this. Imagine how much good could be done if you would take just a fraction of the money that we waste in this country. Yeah. Like, we're giving so much money to ridiculous woke causes. And then, of course, billions upon billions going to Ukraine as a seemingly monthly deposit now how much could be done if you just invested a little bit in the inner cities and say all right instead of sleeping on the circle we're going to build another shelter we're going to try to find the funding for it we're going to build a shelter we're going to get you all p.o boxes we're going to make sure you know how to get a job because last time i checked literally everybody is hiring right now get a p.o box get a shower get a shave and then once you get that first job will help you find a place. And there's two other components that need to be included in that, because I agree with you a thousand percent. But the other two things that need to be addressed are substance abuse, because I'm sorry, there are people down there who are clearly strung out on drugs or clearly drunks. And and, and look, that may not be their fault, right? They may just be suffering um, from you know an illness, if you want to address it that way. But get them the substance abuse counseling, help, assistance, medical treatment, whatever it takes, and mental health treatment. Because some of the people, may, it may not be substance abuse, it may just be mental health. So let's get them those resources that they need to be productive and to help get them off the street. I don't want to be you know anything other than compassionate about it, but we ought to be cleaning up the city for everybody involved, including the poor people that are, that are having to live that way. And the common denominator you see of big cities that have a homeless situation, Democratic leadership. Yeah. This takes us to Los Angeles. This was a story on the local Fox affiliate in L.A. You want to have a fight? In Sherman Oaks, California. You think I'll play when I say you got to die? You really got to die. 
the homelessness crisis. You got to get your half-naked ass out of my restaurant right now. As business owners closing up shops and employees fearing for their safety. They come in, you know, tweaking out and things of that nature. So, you know, you never know what you're going to get here on patrol. They've dealt with fires caused by the unhoused. Aggression on a daily basis. I fear for my staff. I fear for my guests. I don't know from one way, one day to another what's going to happen. Like this man who openly defecates on Ventura Boulevard and on this day tosses a bag of his bodily waste onto business owner Paul Scrivano's SUV. Every single day, every single morning, I'm wiping that off my property before I have to do business. Sir, why are you throwing feces at people? Who? You threw feces at this gentleman. This guy has to understand. I'm half paralyzed, I'm blind, I have no card for nine years. We offer to help the man with services for the homeless, but... Sir, do you need help? The city is offering help. Every day is like another adventure of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It is like a psych, literally a psych ward. Scrivano, owner of Blue Dog Beer Tavern, has had about all he can take. That's okay, pooping on the street, peeing on the street, having sex on the street. Making threats without a weapon is okay now. And again, if the homeless downtown are willing to accost you, Guy Relford, a big, strong dude whose nickname is the gun guy, (laughs) a guy who's played college football, uh, they'll do it to anybody. And again, we talk a lot about the crime in Indianapolis, and rightfully so. But the homeless situation, you walk around what should be one of the most beautiful cities in the Midwest, what used to be one of the most beautiful cities in the Midwest, and it's just, it's falling to crap. And I hate that. As somebody that grew up here, I hate it. It is. And I'll make the same point again. You know, it's not about not being compassionate because, you know, what I thought about, I came up and talked to you guys about it immediately afterward, is that guy was threatening me. He was threatening to kill me. He was threatening to, you know, beat me up. He's using all kinds of profanity. Um, there, There was a moment where the guy was probably about 10 seconds away away from getting shot in the forehead. I don't want to hurt that guy, much less shoot him. But you're threatening to kill me. He was apparently um, threatening other people on the circle with a hammer because he got arrested and prosecuted for exactly that. Um, that guy comes at me with a hammer, and, you know, and I, I'm going to hurt him. I don't want to hurt him, but 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 I will. And, and isn't it a shame if that's a guy who could have gotten some help, whether it's substance abuse or mental health or whatever it is, rather you know than threatening people on the circle that either gets him arrested or gets him hurt. Hurt and, and hurt badly. I, I don't want to be the guy that hurts him, but you come after me with a hammer, I'm not going to let you hit me with that hammer at the end of the day. Guy Relford in for Big Nige. It's the Hammer and Nigel show. Going to the movies, I take up seven rows because I'm fat, fat, fat. You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel show on 93 WIBC. There's a video going viral from TikTok where this fat woman claims that thin or skinny people, they're not allowed to speak when a fat person is talking. (laughs) So it's this fat woman instructing thin people that they're not allowed to speak if a uh, person that's got a little beer belly is talking because of one, intersectionality, and two, marginalization. Hi everyone, this is just a friendly reminder that if a fat person is talking about their own experience with fat phobia, their own experience with their body, with their fat body, their larger body, their plus size body, whatever they 
want to call it. That's not an invitation for thin people to insert themselves in a conversation that's not about them. Just so you know. Because when a marginalized person, yes, because fat people are marginalized, if you don't understand that then look at intersectionality and the different intersections because body size is one of them back to the point it's not an invitation for thin people to just enter into the space of fat people to talk about themselves all right so as the resident fat guy in the room here because <laughs> kyle i still think you're mainly strong you're a little fat but you're mainly strong sure. guy you're still in pretty good shape yeah. as the resident fat guy in the room here my thoughts are similar to those of wwe wrestling legend the rock oh uh, shut your mouth you thong wearing fatty thank you thank you <laughs> people can talk whenever they want to all right, stop it. And I am fat, so I can argue back with this woman. Sit down, shut up, and go eat a donut. What boggles my mind is how many times that we're told that based on demographics, based on whatever boxes we check, based on identity politics, that we simply can't have an opinion. Now she's saying we can't even talk. Right. right? It's like I'm, I'm a man. I'm a man, so I can't have an opinion on abortion. Uh, I'm, I'm white, so I can't have an opinion on you know the fate of black people in America. I, uh, you know, I, I, I keep getting told that I can't express my views. I can't have an opinion, and now I'm being told I can't even talk. What the hell? And usually when you see these professional victims use words like intersectionality and marginalization, they're trying to sound smart because they know that they're not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very rarely are you going to see rocket scientists, lawyers, attorneys, I mean, everybody use these words. Yeah, oh, exactly. And when you were doing the intro to that, I'm sitting there going, I'm a word guy. I love words. I, you know, I, I like vocabulary. Um, but I'm sitting there going, intersectionality and marginalization. And I'm trying to exactly put that in context. That's a lot of work for me because those those aren't words that most of us use in everyday in conversation. Kyle, can I hear The Rock just one more time? Oh, shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Thank ah. you. Um, <laughs> happy anniversary 15 years ago today. One of the great sports rants of all time came out. It was a head coach of a college football team. His team had won the game, but he was not happy with a story that a local reporter wrote on one of his players. 15 years ago today, ladies and gentlemen, Mike Gundy. That's why I don't read the newspaper, because it's garbage. And the editor that let it come out is garbage attacking an amateur athlete for doing everything right. Come after me. I'm a man. I'm 40. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a kid. That's all I got to say. It makes me want to puke. The next case you have, guy, I want you to wrap it up that way. That's all I got to say. Makes me want to puke and just walk off. So be it. I am four years away from turning 40. It Ooh. is going to be my destiny to cut a promo <laughs> in my best Mike Gundy impression. Hammer, I can't believe that was 15 years ago. Oh, right. I know. I remember when I turned 40, I gave the speech. I'm not a kid. I'm a man. I'm 40. <laughs> I'm a man. I'm 40. And now I'm a couple weeks away from uh, being 45, so now I've got Tom Brady to fall back on. Man, I'm 45 years old. There's a lot of bleep going on here. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. Top stories coming up next. Hammer and Nigel. Do you believe these characters are weirdos? On 93 WIBC. So let's rock it. I told you earlier, we got a lot of things going on today. I'm Jason Hammer, Guy Relford, pinch hitting for Big Nige. 
And earlier, we had some legal stuff. And the majority of that conversation was this injunction that came down from a judge in Monroe County that's basically put a stop to the abortion ban in the state of Indiana. So now... It's going to be a little bit of a process here. It's going to have to go through another court system, possibly the Supreme Court. But as of right now, uh, the abortion ban, if you want to call it that, in the state of Indiana is off. That was legal stuff earlier. But as promised, we've got so much of it, we've got round two. Crime. (laughs) Again. Punishment. Again. Judges. Again. Legal stuff. Legal stuff two, electric boogaloo. Hey, before we get into what these migrants are doing, um, hat tip to the state of Indiana. They were part of this lawsuit, and they've basically made it so folks that are involved in that Head Start program, which are children ages three to five and their families, uh, they don't have to have the vaccine and be masked for fear of losing out on this program. A federal judge blocked the vaccine and mask mandate for the Head Start program in 24 states, including Indiana, with a permanent injunction. Uh, So hat tip to uh, Attorney General Todd Rakita for that. Now, Let's go back to what happened with those migrants in Martha's Vineyard. Three of them now are part of a group that is filing a lawsuit and suing Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis and other state officials. It's a class action suit, and it alleges that the migrants were duped into boarding flights as part of a scheme to benefit the governor's political career. The suit also claims that DeSantis, Florida's Transportation Department secretary, and others tricked migrants into leaving Texas by offering them McDonald's gift cards, flights, and the opportunity for employment. Yeah, and you know what? Um, what I immediately leaped out at me when I saw this, Jason, and particularly the quote that they released on why they filed this lawsuit. It was very eloquent. It's very long. You know, that we, we feel like we were defrauded and we were taken advantage of. And it's very eloquent. Um, it doesn't sound exactly like something that would have been said by a group of migrants, you know, who just, you know, crossed the border into the United States. And so illegally, illegally. And so if, if I were, say, defending this lawsuit as an attorney, I would really look forward to taking the deposition of these people. And, and, and I speak some Spanish, but hey, having a have an interpreter in there. And, and I would love to have the conversation of. When did you decide to file this lawsuit? Did anyone approach you about filing this lawsuit? Was it anyone else's idea to file this lawsuit? When 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 people put the lawsuit together and came up with the allegations, including that Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, duped you, um, or, or that, that, that Governor Abbott in Texas duped you into going, you know, to another city, um, was that your idea? Did you go? Did you seek out an attorney, or did an attorney seek out you? And that would be fascinating because you, when you read these allegations, you read how this thing unfolded, I guarantee you there's a liberal agenda here where attorneys sought people out and they just got their name on a list. Now, I'm speculating, obviously. I don't know. But my, my informed speculation is they got some people's names, they sat down, and they told them what they were going to put into a lawsuit, and that's where this came from. This is not some individuals who were upset on how they were treated. These are people being used by progressives to further an agenda by filing this lawsuit and and casting these aspersions, making these allegations against DeSantis and and Abbott. So if I understand this correctly, 
these migrants who maybe 48 hours prior were sleeping on the dirt in somewhere in Mexico, or maybe even a week or so ago, were in a hellhole of Venezuela, they end up at Martha's Vineyard and all of a sudden they feel violated? Yeah, right. Exactly. They flew to Martha's Vineyard where people vacation. They went to the most swanky, you know, rich places this country has to offer. And they're telling us that they feel duped. So you would much rather be down in Texas, um, not knowing what's going on, just running around, running the risk of being arrested and possibly put into a cell of some kind. Yeah. If you just walked from Guatemala Right, because that's what all these people say they did. And and now, are you upset about having taken an air conditioned bus uh, to Martha's Vineyard? And and again, look, I don't want to minimize what these people have gone through. Generally, at the same time, uh, does this sound like something that individual migrants would be saying publicly, or does it sound what like what Gavin Newsom said, you know, Governor of California, about what Ron DeSantis has done? Does it sound like what the mayor of New York has said about Ron DeSantis? Does it sound like, you know, what the people in Martha's Vineyard who are aghast that these people showed up in their neighborhoods, does it sound like what they've been saying? You know, they, they want to say these people are pawns, these people have been manipulated. Look, uh, there's clearly a political point to be made by taking these people out of the border states that have had to support all these illegal immigrants. I mean, millions of illegal immigrants for years, and certainly you know, an incredible uh, a rush of them since Biden's been in office. But but what's happening here and what this lawsuit represents, it's, it's a political maneuver by people who are using these, these, these migrants to file a lawsuit to make a political point. So I'm going to read a little bit from this suit. Okay, this is from the actual lawsuit. Quote, these immigrants who are pursuing the proper channels for lawful immigration status in the United States experience cruelty. All right, let me just stop right there. Experienced cruelty. What cruelty? You flew on an airline to a rich, swanky vacation resort. And also, the key word there, lawful immigration, you came across the border illegally. You didn't go through the proper channels for lawful immigration. So why is that in the lawsuit here? But it goes on. It says that this stripped them of their dignity, deprived them of their liberty, bodily autonomy, due process, equal protection under the law. Now, Guy, do all of those things fall in place for citizens of the United States? Well, that's a great question. Who's who's looking out for you know uh, our rights in the exact same context? No, I mean this is a political debate, and the lawsuit is uh, is a political fiction brought about for political purposes. Uh, Ashton on Twitter sent us this picture that's there at Martha's Vineyard. If anybody's duping these folks, it's Martha's Vineyard because they've got that big woke billboard sign. We respect women. We value black lives. We stand with our LGBTQ community members. Blah, blah, blah. It goes on and on. All are welcome here. That's the sign at Martha's Vineyard. The minute that 50 migrants arrived via DeSantis Airlines, they went into DEFCON 1 and shipped them all out somewhere else. Yeah, you know what I'm waiting for? I'm waiting for the picture um, of uh, of AOC um, leaning on the Welcome to Martha's Vineyard sign, you know, looking down, crying, you know, in, in hysterics, you know, in, in, in because of sympathy for the poor migrants as she's leaning on the Welcome to Martha's Vineyard sign, if you know what I'm referencing. 100%. 
The red lipstick, the white suit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unbelievable. Quote, these immigrants who are pursuing the proper channels for lawful immigration. No, they're not. They were not pursuing the proper channels for lawful immigration. There is a process for lawful immigration. And I'm telling you, a lot of people who have gone through that lawful process, they look at these border crossers and they give them a big middle finger, man, because they did things the right way. These folks just came across and cheat the system. Exactly right. Emma and Nigel presents is It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yeah. Is this anything? My name is Jason Hammer, Guy Relford, the gun guy, filling in for Big Knives today. This is how we're going to do Is This Anything? Guy, I'm going to run some stories by you. You'll break down all the information, and you will be the one that tells us if that story is anything or not. I am on it. Is this anything? The United States Space Force has officially released its song it's called semper supra which means always above um so if you're wondering what the fight song the anthem is like for the space force here it is Sounds like a Division Three football team's getting ready to run on the field. (laughs) That anything? No, (laughs) no, that's definitely not. I mean, does that does that rival you know from the halls of Montezuma, you know, or Anchors Away, right? Which are just awesome awesome songs uh i don't know what the hell that was you can't understand any of the lyrics so i got some of the lyrics here i knew you would say that so i took the liberty of writing the lyrics out okay we're the mighty mighty watchful eye guardians beyond the blue the invisible front line war fighters brave and true boldly reaching into space there's no limit to our sky standing guard both night and day we're the space force from on high yeah, see, that's not even Division Three, man. That's, <laughs> that, that, that's more high school. No, I mean, it, it, it's not good writing. It's not good uh, uh, music. Uh, I'm, I'm very disappointed in that. And, you know, look, I mean, President Trump got a lot of heat when he announced the Space Force originally, right? So apparently they're sticking with it. And I understand the need. I mean, with all the, the, the satellite uh, technology in place today and with the potential threats coming from, um, from you know, uh, threats in space from from satellites or otherwise i understand the need for it but now i gotta do better on the song man i I give that about a d minus so if i were in charge of coming up with the theme coming up with the anthem for space force it would be this everybody get up it's time to slam now we got a real jam going down welcome to the space jam space jam Jam, baby do your dance at the space jam All all right Now I'm ready to enlist. Now I hear this, I'm ready to go into the Space Force. You've got intelligible lyrics. You've got a great beat. (laughs) I'm right there with you, brother. Is this anything? Listen to this guy on a conference call at home. 
just completely freak out when he notices there's a squirrel that has gotten loose and it's in his room. And I think for the purposes of town hall. That's a dude. Yeah. Is well, this anything? Well, that's questionable. <laughs> uh, no. You know what? I mean, you know, during COVID and whatnot, I did a lot of conference calls from home, you know, a lot of WebEx and, and whatnot. In this situation, I would have gone, hold on, there's a school, there's a squirrel. Pop. Okay. What, what were we talking about? Moving on. <laughs> now, squirrels can be aggressive, man. They can be mean, rotten little vermin, whatever they're called. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but no. I mean, it's a rodent, dude. I mean, it's got a big bushy tail, but just chill and deal with it. And no, and the high pitched screams. I'm sorry. Uh, he, he, whatever level he has and whatever organization he was working for, he had to be demoted about four levels. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that doesn't sound like something, dudes. Do. No. I'm sorry. I, I want to know what this guy's reaction if, like, th- three dudes in ski masks and sawed-off shotguns come up to his door. I mean, well, how's he going to react to that? <laughs> <laughs> Which brings us to great moments in squirrel history when Ron Burgundy was anchoring the news. His name is Nutty the Squirrel, and he's three years old. How about that? <laughs> that squirrel can water ski. That oh. squirrel can water ski. <laughs> there was a video that went viral of this little girl. She was playing outside, and she brought in a dead squirrel as a pet to the house. <laughs> Put the dead squirrel down! Claire! 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 And she's scaring her sisters with it. She's carrying it around like it's a pet. It's so good. You know what I want to hear? And, you know, uh, Hammer and Nigel Records would be perfect to do this. I, I want to hear uh, a combination of the scene of the killer rabbit from Monty Python <laughs> with that dude screaming about the about the squirrel in his room, because that would be too good. We'll work on that. <laughs> we will definitely get there. Uh, but, of course, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. You can't have great moments in squirrel history without Clark Griswold. Christmas tree. Oh, yeah. (laughs) To this very day, even if I'm outside and I see a squirrel, I yell like the Griswolds. (laughs) Squirrel! (laughs) The people who don't know the movie reference look at me like I'm a weirdo, but the others who understand, like, give me a thumbs up. You know what? There are certain movies that you you can be able to have a whole conversation just using references for those movies, right? (laughs) And and the American Vacation uh, are one of them, but but Animal House, Caddyshack, there are certain movies you you ought to be able to have. And if nobody can carry on that conversation with you, they're not worth talking to. (laughs) I'm with you. Is this anything? The website for... Hampton, Virginia Library apparently led to an adult toy store. (laughs) The issue popped up around 10 years ago when the library site was hacked and routed to this steamy adult site. I don't know if they ever got it fixed. Here's a concerned mother and the Hampton communication strategist, Robin McCormick, talking about it. I have five kids. I could just imagine if they had seen that instead of 
their mom. I thought maybe I put in the wrong address, so I double-checked, triple-checked, and it was still sending me to the same page, and it had explicit content. It's embarrassing! This is not something the city of Hampton ever wanted to do. I don't want to, like, point any blame. I'm just a mom that wants this gone. <laughs> is that anything? Well, you know, I, I'm tempted to say no because I just want to laugh at it. At the same time, I am a parent and now a grandparent and look you know my kids on the on the library website trying to find you know a book for a reading project or whatnot i don't want them being diverted there uh i'm disappointed that this has happened but you know at me given my general attitude i just want to laugh about it but because there's kids involved with libraries yeah that's something and that shouldn't happen i'm more upset that it's been 10 years and nobody's <laughs> fixed the damn thing like that's government yeah. at work right there oh yeah have that's seen, the government have you seen the recent video where there's a guy in a helicopter and he's traveling He's covering uh, for a news station a crash of a semi, and the semi has crashed. <laughs> and he's it, the semi has leaked um, adult toys Correct. all over a freeway, and the and the anchor in the studio is going. Well, can you tell us what's on the highway and exactly what is the hazard? And the dude fumbles over that so bad. It is truly hilarious. I saw that. <laughs> Mondo? This reminds me of back when I was in middle school, my multimedia teacher, Mr. Patterson, on the very first day, we had a president project where we each got to pick a president. Mine was Rutherford B. Hayes. He specifically told us, do not go to whitehouse.com. Do not go to whitehouse.com. Some of us went to WhiteHouse.com. Oh, I mean, how are you not? And it's an adult porn site. Oh, wow. Because the official White House is WhiteHouse.gov. Uh, so somebody bought the rights to WhiteHouse.com and made it substantially different. Was that a life-altering experience there, Mondo? Nothing I hadn't seen before. <laughs> <laughs> Mondo's one of the administrators yeah, of there. it, actually. <laughs> it's the Hammer and Nigel Show. You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show on 93 WIBC. Hammer and Nigel Show. I'm Jason Hammer. Guy Relfort's in for Nige. Yesterday, when we were speaking with uh, Tony Kennett of Chalkboard Review, he had a story about this education nonprofit that was hosting an all-ages drag event really kind of focused on the kids, a drag show for the kids. We've got an update. Let's go to the drivehubor.com hotline. Tony Kennett joins us. Tony, I know you're a busy guy. You're in meetings. You're moving. You're shaking. You're doing all the things. But you've got an update for us. Yes, I do. After the chalkboard review report, uh, we were able to obtain an internal memo from Intersect, the uh, education nonprofit that is sponsoring the Pride event. And what we discovered is that Intersect is threatening to pull their sponsorship completely unless the Pride event in Pendleton cancels the drag reading hour with the controversial, uh, very oversexualized drag queen. Okay, so because of what you put out in Chalkboard Review, what we talked about on the air yesterday, we've got some things in motion here, right? Yes, that's true, and this is exactly why parents need easy access, why teachers, why aides, why state house representatives, why anyone in the state who's interested in education has easy access to the transparent workings of education and education-adjacent events. Everyone is a stakeholder in education. And, you know, I'm coming in here a little late to this discussion, but if this event were to go forward as planned, what age groups of kids would be attending this kind of an event? 
Well, the word is all ages. So it would be whatever parents in Pendleton or the surrounding area choose to bring their uh, young children. I've seen uh, drag reading hour events where children as young as two and three are brought. Mm. Uh, in fact, at one event uh, that was on video released in our report, uh, this particular drag queen was taking uh, dollar bills and things in, in rather stripper-esque tipping fashion uh, from elementary-aged and middle school-aged students. Tony Kennett of Chalkboard Review. Hey, keep up the good work, man, and keep us up to date when things like this happen. And who knows, maybe between Chalkboard Review and what we do on this show, we can score a few for the good guys. That's the hope. Thanks very much, Hammer. You guys take care. You got it. Thank you. That's Tony Kennett giving us a little update from a story that we had yesterday. Also, an update from the Hammer House. My wife, Crystal, just texted me, Kyle. Thanks, Mondo. Now Jacob's in the phone looking at whitehouse.com. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, Guy Roford's in for Nigel today. Um, you were running a little bit late today. I can only assume it's because you were at home watching The View. I know Corrine Jean-Pierre was on The View today. Yeah, no, 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 that was not it. Uh, KJP Corrine Jean-Pierre. <laughs> she was on The View and discussed what's going on at the border. What is the administration planning to do with to deal with the ongoing crisis of illegal immigration? So let's this is let's step back for a second because there's a lot going on that we just make we want to make sure that folks who are watching understand. So what we have seen uh, these past couple of months, even this past year, is that we have seen an increase with Venezuelans, Nicaraguans and Cubans. We have seen a 121 percent increase mm -hmm. since last year. So we're talking about places that have a communist regime and they are trying to leave that communist regime. And so you're seeing this issue across the Western Hemisphere. So if I'm to understand this correctly, the situation at the border is because people in other countries want to come to the United States. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and by the way, at, at some point, if there's a random act of unintentional journalism here, you would think someone would say, hold on. Aren't there a lot of people crossing the border illegally today? Right. And if that's true, what are the plans to start minimizing the number of people who are illegally crossing the border? Why don't we ever get there? Why don't we ever get there with that with this administration? And the follow-up question that nobody on The View would ask, why are all of a sudden these folks deciding to do this now when during the Donald Trump time in office, the caravans tried they failed and they knew they were not going to get into the united states look at the numbers the numbers just came out this past week when you look at the border crossings the drug amounts that come across and the folks from the fbi's terror watch list that have been apprehended compare the trump years to just the last two years under joe biden why do you think that is kjp um and keep in mind too your border czar Vice President Kamala Harris, she's nowhere to be found. Joe Biden, he doesn't want to go to the border. Um, Kamala Harris, she said the border was secure. You're confident this border is secure? We have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. I didn't hear Corrine Jean-Pierre say the border was secure today on The View. I didn't hear that at all. And by the way, the three-second pause, you're saying the border is secure. 
and there's a good three count right there, right? If I go home tonight and, and the lovely Mrs. Relford says, did you have any beer in the studio with Hammer and Nigel today? <laughs> and there's a three-second delay before I go, uh, and whatever comes out of my mouth after that is by definition going to be a fib because I had to think for three seconds on what the hell was going to come out of my mouth. That's exactly what that sounded like to me. So you're saying the border is, is secure? One, two, Three. The border is. I'm sorry. You're lying. <laughs> By definition, you're a lion. And it wasn't like it was a complicated question. No, where no. You had to think exactly about it. right. Uh, so your border czar nowhere to be found at the border. And Joe Biden. It was October 21st of 2021. I did the research. I looked this up. October 21st, 2021. Joe Biden said that he hasn't had time to visit the border. Do you have plans to visit the southern border? I've been there before, and I haven't. I mean, I know it well. I guess I should go down, but but, but the whole point of it is I haven't had a whole hell of a lot of time to get down. Hasn't had a lot of time. Since then, if you do the math, based on the official records of the White House, he has spent 141 days on vacation. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? We haven't or who we haven't heard from. During the Trump administration, we, we heard a lot from the Border Patrol people. Actually, the people with the job of enforcing our immigration laws. We heard from them a lot, and we heard from them about what they need. We heard about uh, them about how dire the consequences were and the efforts that the Trump administration was was taking to fix those things, which it did, and dramatically improve things. Today, even since Biden was elected, why don't we ever hear from those guys? Because those are the guys who know. They're not po- they're not politicians. They're on the they're, front lines. They're not elected. They're on the front lines. Why don't we hear from those guys anymore? It's because the administration won't let them talk and because mainstream media has no interest in hearing what the actual facts are. Here's a little bit more from KJP on The View earlier. She was asked about Biden's statement that it's much too early to decide whether or not the old geriatric grandpa was going to run again in 2024. Well, I I will say this, and I think he followed up uh, and said that he intends to run. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's basically been the place that he has been. And I have said that. He has said that. The vice president has said that, that he intends to run. Um, You know, and look, I think for this president, for this administration, it is so important to focus at what to focus on what's at hand. And that's where our head is at. So, again, nobody is really putting themselves out there going, yeah, all that's fake news. He's in it. He's in it to win it. He's going to be a two-time president. That's my guy. I'm with Joe. Nobody's doing that now. All of a sudden, the temperature has changed almost drastically in just a couple of months, guy. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, I'm, I'm an old guy. I'm 20 years older than you and, uh, and then some. And uh, but I've never in in my long life so far experienced a presidency where the president comes out and says something, and then for three days his staff tells us what he did and didn't say. Right. And, and invariably they walk back ninety percent of what the guy had to say, whether it's <laughs> on the Taiwan policy, whether it's on whether he's running again, whether the pandemic's over. We hear what he says, and then we we spend three or four days where people tell us what he said that has nothing what to do whatsoever with what he actually said. He goes, well, I don't know. It's too early for me to decide whether I'm going to run again. Okay. So it's an unresolved question. Well, I think what you heard the president say is he fully intends to run again. No, no. I heard his words. Why are you gaslighting me? Right. Why are you telling me that what I just heard isn't what I actually heard? And we do this. It doesn't matter what the issue is. It could be immigration. It could be you know any crime. It can be anything under the sun. Inflation. This administration t- constantly will stare at 
you right dead in the eye through the television lens, you know, through the camera, and tell you you didn't hear what you just heard, or the facts you know to be true are not the actual facts. It's exhausting. That's Guy Relford bringing the heat. He's pinch hitting for Big Nige today. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show on 93 WIBC. Coming up a little bit after 5 o'clock, special judge in Monroe County has granted a preliminary injunction blocking Indiana's new abortion law. We'll get into that coming up in just a little bit. I'm Jason Hammer. Guy Relford is in for Big Nige. All passengers on this flight to Hawaii were given a ukulele and a lesson thanks to Guitar Center. So everybody on board on this flight got a ukulele and a free lesson. Here are the passengers learning the song, Hello, Aloha, How Are You? And that's a fun choice of song, but if you're going to give these people a ukulele and you're going to Hawaii, how do you not teach them the classic theme to Hawaii 5 Right? That's brilliant. This is what they should have taught. I was thinking Tiptoe Through the Daisies uh, by Tiny Tim. The um, Tulips, that, yeah. The Tulips, I'm sorry. Tiptoe Through the Tulips with Tiny Tim. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I got a great ukulele story for you. Because, you know, in, back in 2012, the uh, the uh, publisher of all the dummies books, like Accounting for Dummies and you know Microsoft Word for Dummies, they got a hold of me and they they asked me if I'd be willing to write uh, gun safety for dummies. And by the way, I first hung up on the person who called me because I thought it was somebody you know totally punking me, going, "Oh yeah, good. you're the biggest dummy we know," and it was going to be a radio station or something, you know. So right. I hung up on him. But eventually, I said, "Yeah, I'd like to talk to you about it." And we worked out a deal. And they said, "All right, well, we're going to send you what we consider to be our best dummies books, and we want you to read it and take it to heart. We're going to send you a primer on how to write in the dummy style." Um, but the the book they sent me as like the ultimate example of a great dummies book was Ukulele for Dummies. Really? So I wrote, I, I read ukulele for, and and never thought I would know that much about a ukulele. Have you ever played the ukulele? Afterwards? Oh God, no! I have no musical <laughs> ability whatsoever. But 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 I read it, and it was incredibly well written, and it gave me a good insight for how to write gun safety for dummies. But I, I, I would be sitting on a, and, and when was it? I was on an airplane, and I'm I'm sitting in, the, in my in my seat, and I'm I'm reading ukulele for dummies, and a person reads over to me and says, "Oh, so you're interested in the ukulele?" I'm like, "No." Nah. Not at all. No, not at all. No, no. I'm actually a big badass with guns. <laughs> oh, okay. We'll carry on, sir. <laughs> but I did learn a lot about a ukulele. And, but you know, but in all seriousness, about this story, they're going to Hawaii, and they got the opportunity to actually learn a little bit of ukulele. I think that's awesome as hell. I think that's awesome. Great moments in ukulele history. There's a YouTube video where a guy has a ukulele, but he's also attached a kazoo with it oh there you go and he performs europe's hit the final countdown <laughs> and i'm telling you if i ever become commissioner of the nfl this guy is halftime of the super bowl awesome <laughs> <laughs> oh here we go <laughs> all right let, let it go <laughs> that's awesome 
<laughs> Hammer and Nigel Airlines need to hook up with this Hawaiian airline. You guys pass out the ukuleles. We'll get the kazoos out here, and we're going to get together and have this most awesome, badass orchestra you guys have ever seen. <laughs> oh, awesome. That sounds great. And I'll be wearing my T-shirt saying I'm just in it for the lays. <laughs> <laughs> Guy Relford's filling in for Big Nige. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. Hammer and Nigel. Do you believe these characters are weirdos? On 93 WIBC. So let's Beautiful day. Sun is shining. Temperatures somewhat moderate. Windows are open. We're having a good time here on a Thursday. It's the Hammer and Nigel show. I'm Jason Hammer. Guy Relfort's in for Big Nige. And the big story today is this special judge in Monroe County has granted a preliminary injunction blocking Indiana's new abortion law that went into effect on the 15th. The ACLU, they were the ones that sued to block the ban, arguing that the Indiana Constitution includes a right to privacy and to make decisions on whether or not to have children. Now, Guy, this judge wrote in her ruling that whether a right to privacy exists in the state's constitution is kind of an open question. So for those who don't have law degrees, let's try to make some sense of this. Yeah, I mean, let's go back to what happened with Roe v. Wade, right, at the Supreme Court of the United States. What they said is that there is no right to privacy that includes a right to have an abortion in the United States Constitution. And so since it's not a right protected by the U.S. Constitution, it's a matter for state legislatures to decide on their own. Um, it's not something that, that, that should be discussed in the courts. It should be something that is determined by state legislatures. And, uh, and so that's where that decision left us. What the pro-abortion people in Indiana have now done is they've said, well, the Supreme Court's resolved the issue of whether there's a right to an abortion in the United States Constitution. We're going to make the argument that there's a right in the Indiana state constitution. Now, again, the word abortion is not in the Indiana constitution. Um, There's no explicit right to privacy in the Indiana constitution. So they're trying to string along an argument just like Roe v. Wade from way back when that sort of created this right out of the U.S. Constitution that isn't there explicitly. They're trying to make the same argument as to the Indiana Constitution. What this means by virtue of the judge in Monroe County, which, by the way, is not the most conservative county in the world. I know I've litigated down there a lot. But what this means is that the judge has determined that the the plaintiffs, the people trying to create this right to have an abortion out of the Indiana Constitution, that they have a substantial likelihood of success on the merits. That's, that's a standard you have to meet to get what's called a preliminary injunction. It just means they're going to continue to litigate. And ultimately, the, you know, the other side may win, the state may win, and the plaintiffs may lose. But at this juncture, given a limited amount of information in the record, a limited amount of evidence presented to the court, that th- this judge thinks there's a substantial likelihood the plaintiffs will win. But that's just step one. Goes to the Court of Appeals, very likely go to the Indiana Supreme Court. Who knows? May go all the way up to SCOTUS, although it's an interpretation of the Indiana Constitution. So I would think it would probably end with a resolution by the Indiana uh, Supreme Court. But that's several steps down the road. The Attorney General uh, for the state of Indiana, Todd Rokita, I believe he was on with Tony earlier. Uh, He put out the following statement, quote, we plan to appeal and continue to make the case for life in Indiana. Our office 
toughness remains determined to fight for the lives of the unborn, and this law provides a reasonable way to begin doing that. So again, there's a lot of folks on the left super progressive leftists they're doing victory laps they're trolling republicans on social media so this may be a short-lived celebration though because while this legal process runs its course yes things go back to the old indiana law uh, before the 15th but there's a good chance probably better than good that this is going to go the way that the Indiana State House had ruled that was supposed to begin on the 15th. Yeah, you, you had one trial judge in Monroe County decide that um, that there's a likelihood of success on the merits, uh, and they have to meet other standards, too, like there's a, like a risk of irreparable injury, and it goes on from there that any kind of money damages aren't sufficient. But the standard, the main one they're looking at here is, is who's likely to win at the end of the day, but that's one trial judge, and that's step one, and things could change right there in that court in Monroe County. It could certainly change uh, at the Court of Appeals or the Supreme Court of Indiana. So, yeah, step one of what's going to be a long legal fight, exactly to your point. So with less than seven weeks until the midterm, is this the type of thing that fires up voters in Indiana? Because let's be honest, Indiana is a super majority for the Republicans, even though Marion County, super dim, other pockets of the state, very liberal as well. But is this abortion thing, which is pretty much the only thing the Democrats can hang their hat on at this point, because they certainly can't do it with the economy or the supply chain or the price of groceries or anything like that, the border, they can't do any of that. Is this the type of thing that's going to fire up the base? Here is RNC Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel on the effect abortion could have on the midterms. We know the Democrats have enough money and they have made a decision to make this election about abortion. They're trying to say this is all about this issue. Like every like every voter wakes up and they can only think about one issue all day, right? And we know this isn't the top issue, but they're going to spend the money to try and make this issue. And Guy, one of the things that I fight with Abdul on a lot when he joins us on Friday is I just don't think this issue moves the needle for as many people as the Democrats think. For me, I still think it's the economy. Democrats spend money too. Remember when Michael Jordan said, how come you don't get involved in politics? Well, Republicans buy shoes too. Democrats spend money too. They go to the grocery store. And even though they might hate every single well-known Republican, they can't be happy with what they're seeing in terms of prices and the economy. So I still think it's economy, economy, economy when it comes to voters in the midterm election. Well, yeah, because here's how it boils down in terms of actual effect on the election itself, which is, are there people out there who would not have voted, but are going to trundle on down to the poll and vote specifically because they're inspired by the abortion issue? Or are there are people that are undecided? that this is going to tip them toward voting Democrat because they're excited about the abortion issue? Or there were, are there people that were inclined to vote Republican because of the economy, because of the border, because of crime, because of all the issues you're talking about, but abortion is enough for them to change their mind? So those are three groups of people you look at. I could see some people wanting to vote 
who maybe weren't inclined to vote before because they're going to be a one-issue voter, and that's because abortion's an important issue for them. In terms of people that are going to balance how they feel about all those other issues, in terms, including inflation, you know, the economy, gas prices, those things that influence them every single day, are people going to be swayed? Are they going to change their minds because they were leaning one way um, or they were going to vote Republican and now they've changed their mind? I don't think you're going to affect those people that much. So does it move the needle at all, maybe a little, enough to change an election? I don't think so. I still think it's economy, economy, economy. And on the subject of that, the U.S. Federal Reserve jacked up interest rates once yeah. again. Uh, this happened yesterday. Another increase of three-fourths of a point. Here is the Federal Reserve Chair, Jerome Powell. People are seeing their wage increases, their, their wage increases eaten up by inflation. So if, you're, if you, your family is one where you spend most of your paycheck, every paycheck cycle, on gas, food, transportation, clothing, basics of life, and prices go up the way they've been going up, you're in trouble right away. You, you don't have a cushion, and this is very painful for people at the lower end of the income and wealth spectrum. So that's what we're hearing from people is, you know, it, it very much that inflation is really hurting. And when we start talking about interest rates and the Federal Reserve, it's easy to kind of get too into the weeds, right? So if you're looking to understand what this means for most families in Indiana, across the country, here is the economist Rahelia Solomon on CNN on what this means. Well, it bears repeating, right? Because it means if you're looking for a home, well, your monthly payment will be much higher than it was uh, even just earlier this year because mortgage rates uh, have popped. They've doubled since earlier this year. If you have a credit card balance and you're making the minimum payment, well, it's going to take you longer to pay that back because you are paying more in interest. So it's something to just think about. The impact on mortgages by the way, we just got some new data today. Part of the reason why home sales are down a whopping 20 percent compared to a year ago. It's something to think about. So basically, unless you've gotten a big time raise over the last year, you're losing money compared to the last couple of years. It's that simple. Yep. All right. We're going to do a round of Ask the Gun Guy. All right. It's one of our favorite things to do. So if you've got a question to a related where can I take my weapon? What the law is for that? What can I do in a specific situation? Let's put the gun guy to work here. You've got access to the best two-way attorney in the country, and he will answer your questions, but you got to call in. 239-9393. That's 239-9393. Whatever you want, two-way related. Guy Relford will try to answer your questions. Boom, boom, boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show on 93 WIBC. All right, let's light this candle. We got Guy Relford filling in for Big Nige today. I'm Jason Hammer, and it is time to ask the gun guy. Your gun-related questions, 2A questions, situational questions, handled by the best 2A attorney in all of America, Guy Relford. Frank, you are up first, Frank. Welcome to the Hammer and Nigel Show. Thanks for having me. My question is, after an expungement, how long, what's the typical wait period before I can apply for a uh, permit? 
Yeah, just so people know, expungement in Indiana, uh, it seals your record for most convictions, not all, but it also restores your rights uh, for most convictions, not all. And and we don't really know, Frank, because what, what happens is your attorney should send that information to the expungement desk at the Indiana State Police, and then some human being... Getting that information has to update your national criminal histories to reflect the fact that you're no longer a prohibited possessor and that you're able to you know to possess and buy firearms. That could happen in a day. It could happen in a month, depending on volume and how you know overworked they are and how many people they have doing the job. So I usually tell my clients give it 30 days. In the meantime, you're legal, um, assuming your expungement is one that uh, does restore your rights, which mo- which for most convictions it does. Um, you're legal. You can buy a gun from a private individual, you can possess a gun, but don't necessarily expect to pass a background check at the gun store, I'd say, for somewhere around 30 days. Troy, you are up next. You got Guy Relford here, Troy. Thanks, Hammer. Hey, Guy. Hey, buddy. My question has to do with uh, uh, CCW and uh, alcohol consumption. And uh, let me give you a situation here. I'm sitting at home. It's after work. I've had a couple of beers. Wife, hey, honey, can you run to the store and grab me this? I got my piece on. I jump in the car. Maybe I'm not, you know, I'm not intoxicated, but I've had a couple of beers. I get in a traffic accident. What can having, you know, having alcohol in my system do differently? Maybe in a situation where I have a concealed firearm. Yeah, well, Indiana does not have a law like several other states do. Like Texas, for instance, has a law that says if you have any detectable level of alcohol in your system and you're in possession of a firearm, you're committing a crime. Indiana doesn't have that that law. So there's no law against having a gun in your possession while you're consuming alcohol, while you have alcohol in your system. Um, There's actually not a law against being stone cold drunk and in possession of a gun. Now, I treat possession of a gun uh, and drinking just like I do driving and drinking, which is if I've had more alcohol than I'm comfortable driving, then I don't carry, which tends to influence how much I drink more than it does how much I carry, because I refuse to give up my right to defend myself and my family. Um, But unlike many states, uh, we don't have a law against possession of a gun while you have alcohol in your system. Let's go to Mike. Mike, welcome to the Hammer and Nigel show, Mike. Good afternoon, gentlemen. I got into a conversation over the weekend with a friend of mine whose father recently passed away in Canada. The father is a Canadian resident, and the friend of mine is a resident of Florida and a U.S. citizen. How does he go about getting his father's firearms out of Canada back home to him in florida i'll tell you what man i always want to uh answer every single question that comes across the line uh whether it's on my show or here on ask the gun guy but you're talking about a matter of canadian law in terms of being able to export those get those out of canada and i'm nowhere close to a canadian attorney so i don't know i would have him consult someone in canada because this is especially problematic because of all the incredible gun control provisions they passed in canada here just recently i mean they're clearly trying to even outlaw handguns for crying out loud they put a moratorium on handgun sales they've got assault weapon bans so you're you're unfortunately asking me a question about canadian law that i'm gonna have to uh i'm gonna have to duck uh, as uh, as much as i hate to say it i always want to answer every single question that comes across the line but unfortunately this one involves canadian law and i'm just not that guy let's go to martin martin welcome to the hammer and nigel show yeah, hi, Guy. Hi, Hammer. Hey. Um, Guy, I met you down in Brownsburg at your show. I was, you're the one that inspired me for the church uh, 
security team. Awesome, um, fantastic! Yeah. That was a fun. Yeah. That was a that was a fun uh, show as well. That was awesome. That was a great. That was a great time, Tony and you. That was a good time. Yeah. That was a good deal. Um, my question: um, National parks in Indiana, uh-huh. uh, DNR parks, things like that. When you get in and you camp, or I take my horses into them, sometimes on certain ones they have restrictions on firearms. They'll say no firearms. You got to read the fine print on that, and sometimes it's it's just a lot of words where they just don't want you to. But on the ones that just say no firearms permitted in the park, being that's a government-run parks, how does that work on the law for concealed carry? Well, you get, you, with parks, keep in mind you've got city parks, and they're actually subject to the Indiana Firearms Preemption Act. They can't tell you you can't carry a gun in a city park. Um, state parks, it's legal now. It used to say with a license to carry. Now, under constitutional carry, you can have your handgun in a, a state park. Um, there are restrictions on um, uh, sometimes on being within a certain uh, distance uh, of different facilities in the state park, et cetera, et cetera. But for the most part, you can carry in a state park. That's now legal. And now, and, and believe it or not, <laughs> you'll laugh at this, as part of the Credit Card Protection Act of 2009, I kid you not, signed into law during the Obama administration, it's now legal to have a gun in a national park as long as it's legal for you to have that gun in the state in which the national park is located. Keep in mind, though, there's a prohibition against having a gun in a federal facility which is a building or part thereof owned, leased, or managed by the federal government where federal employees are regularly present. So that would include like the visitor center or the museum or theoretically even the bathroom. So yeah, you can have a gun in a national park, but you can't go into buildings in a national park as stupid as that is. That's how that works right now with parks. Marvin, go ahead, Marvin. You got the gun guy here. Hey, guys, I appreciate it. Um, So I have an AR pistol for ATF terms. Yep. And uh, like you said, you can't trust everything you hear out of the gun shop. And I'm looking to make a new build, and they bring out that ATF is trying to now convert ATF, uh, excuse me, uh, AR pistols into a SBR, right. thus making me have to carry a license. Is that true 100%? Are we getting there? Can we fight that? Is there any way to avoid that issue? Yeah, well, no, it, 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 if, if it's a pistol now, um, then it's subject to the requirements for carrying a pistol. What what you're talking about is ATF has come out with a new rulemaking that says now, uh, depending on the weight of the firearm, the barrel length, the caliber, they've got this point system, and they've got this whole spreadsheet. And I'm an attorney. I study this stuff for a living. It's incredibly confusing. But they, they basically, you assign points based on barrel length, weight, caliber, uh, configuration, different uh, characteristics. And if you exceed a certain number of points, it's a short-barreled rifle or SBR, uh, and you have to get a tax stamp. So you have to go pay your $200 under the National Firearms Act and get your tax stamp for a short-barreled rifle. And and I'll tell you right now what they're doing. They're trying to make it so incredibly confusing that everybody just goes and gets an SBR stamp. Um, And they're offering amnesty, as I understand it. I don't know that that's been finalized, so you may save the $200. But in the meantime, you got to register it with the federal government and get your stamp so you avoid going to prison for 10 years by having an unregistered short-barreled rifle. Spencer, Dan, stay on the line. Guy, can you take these calls off the air? Because we're up against a hard break right here. All good. Plus, I see Rob Kendall doing one-armed push-ups out in the hallway. He is ready to go off the rails. We got Rob Kendall coming up next. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, 
and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. And now, Hammer and Nigel go off the rails with Rob Kendall on 93 WIBC. It is the Hammer and Nigel Show. I'm Jason Hammer. Guy Relford in for Big Nige. And here to go off the rails is Rob Kendall. Rob, how are you? Great. Thanks, as always, to our segment sponsor, Garage Doors of Indianapolis. We can go in a number of different directions here. But let's start with the biggest story of the day. This judge from Monroe County puts out this ruling that says that the abortion ban in Indiana has to come to a halt right now while more legal stuff plays out. Your thoughts? How's that intro for legal stuff go? It's crime, punishment, judges, judges, legal legal stuff. stuff. Okay, so I'm going to add a fourth one to that that I'd like you to insert now into the intro if that's okay. It should go crime, punishment, judges, laziness, (laughs) legal stuff. Because basically what this judge said, I mean, if you read the order, it's basically, well... You know, a bunch of people are against abortion, so we should probably have a hearing on abortion. We should probably have a trial about abortion. Supreme Court was pretty clear when they issued the abortion ruling in which the states get to decide abortion, which is pretty sure that's what happened at the special session now was it everybody's favorite bill nope some people thought it was too way too strict some people thought it was way too lenient some people thought it was just right that's why we have elections we elect people to decide things if you don't like the way some got decided you you elect someone else the elected people decided abortion is what the supreme court said and this judge just goes well you know a lot of people are against this so you know we should probably have a trial about it and Each state can do things differently. Kansas decided they want to put it on the ballot, and the people in Kansas voted it down. Here in Indiana, the elected officials, uh, the Republicans, have the supermajority. They said, you know what? We're just going to go ahead and uh, put this forward right now because that's what we were elected to do. But this judge in Monroe County all of a sudden steps in, and now we don't know when this whole situation is going to be rectified. Well, and again, the, the, the thing that stood out to me is the happy dance, the celebration, the rocket's red glare, bombs bursting in air. The Democrat Party does over the fact that for whatever more length of time, they'll be able to suck the brains out of defenseless fetuses up to 20 weeks. I mean, think about that hammer. They're throwing a parade in the Indiana Democrat Party over the fact that defenseless innocent little babies will have their brains sucked out without a voice. That's your Democrat Party. And listen, nobody's going to change their mind on abortion right now, right? Like, nobody's going to hear our conversation and go, you know what? That Rob Kendall really said something, and now I'm completely on the other side. It's one of those issues where everybody has their mind made up. But because of all this back and forth with the law, do you think this will have any sort of effect on the midterms in Indiana? No, because the Democrats are a terrible party with terrible candidates. Uh, but now they can run and say, women, if you're a moderate, if you're somebody in the middle, we're looking after you. They, we're going to make abortion part of your birth control if you vote for us. They don't even have candidates in a whole bunch of these races, so no. And you look at the top of the ticket, who they have, Tom McDermott. He's been on our show several times. He's always willing to answer questions. He's a total goof. The Secretary of State 
candidate. Destiny Wells is an on-demand abortion advocate. There's nothing there, which is too bad because the Republican Diego Morales might win because of that, and he's a total zero as well. So <laughs> That's like that Texans and Bears game coming up this <laughs> I mean, weekend. That's perfect. Somebody's got to win. Yes, yes, Diego Morales and Destiny Wells are the Texans and Bears. It's unfortunate. <laughs> One has to win. I just hope Jeff Moore, the libertarian, gets his 10% in the process. No, the Democrat Party in Indiana is horribly run they don't have good candidates they're not competitive so no this probably won't make much of it they may win a couple of these races that are the districts are drawn moderately competitive but it won't change the balance of power so if we go from local to national here you've got graham nasty senator lindsey graham south kakalaki about a month ago comes out and says you know what states rights we're all about states rights and now he's coming out he wants to roll out some federal abortion ban and he says it's no longer about states rights there's a lot of people on the right who are looking at graham nasty going what are you doing shut the hell up right now your side has the momentum heading into midterms and you're doing everything you can to screw it up you ever go to Showbiz Pizza when you were a kid? I love Showbiz. Billy Bob yeah. and the Rock of Fire explosion. Remember they ruined it and made it Chuck E. Cheese, but when we were kids, it was a better time. Chuck E. Cheese, I always called the Rat Casino. Yeah. <laughs> you take your kids to a rat casino. There's a big rat running around, shaking your hand, and kids are playing games. Remember the game at Showbiz Pizza where the little guy would pop out of the tube and you would whack it? Like a whack-a-mole. Whack-a-mole. That was the name of the game, yes. And it was a pretty simple game, right? Like you have the club, the little guy pops up, you know there's going to be one of nine options, you hit it, the guy goes back down. Pretty simple game. The Republicans are playing a simple game right now, which is you have one of the worst economies in the history of this country, if not the worst. You have a party with no solutions. Inflation is out of control. The border is out of control. You have a million different ways you could win the game, just like there's a million different ways you could win whack-a-mole. Instead, what the Republicans <laughs> have decided to do is take that club and just keep bashing themselves <laughs> over the head with it over and over and over again. Why would you be talking about this? Even if... There's no chance it's going to come up for a vote. It's not like, oh, my gosh, it's a divided Senate, and it will come up for a vote, and this would protect life. Even if you believed abortion should be a federal issue, which it shouldn't, there's no chance it's going to come up for a vote. The whole reason the Supreme Court did away with Roe versus Wade was because of states' rights. And now this lunatic is coming out, you know, less than seven weeks until the midterms saying, ah, states' rights, mates' rights. He takes the contract like Lou Brown does in Major League <laughs> and just takes a leak on it right on the ground. I mean, why is he doing this? Like, what's the win here? Because when he first rolled this out, Rob, it was the day that the White House had that ill-advised party where the horrific numbers of inflation came out, and we cut to the Rose Garden, and they're popping champagne, they're having a good time, they're playing grab-ass. I believe the words you're looking for, Hammer, are narcissistic self-absorption. <laughs> this is why I've given up on the Republicans, because they're not serious party, they're not serious people, they're not even mad about the things that are going on in the country, they're just mad they're not the ones doing it. They're not mad about spending. Clearly, they did it when they were in charge. Most of the COVID spending came from the Republicans. They're just mad they're not doling out the favors. They're not serious people. The vast majority of Republicans are not worthy of your vote, and most people should treat them as such. We're chatting with Rob Kendall from the Kendall and Casey Show every Monday through Friday, 9 to noon, here at 93 WIBC. So driver's license i heard you kind of give us a mini off the rails earlier today what's going on with driver's license the indiana republican party so this is how they're <clears throat> spending their summer 
keep in mind, <laughs> this is the party of record taxation, record government, record government spending. The Indian Republican Party should seek inpatient treatment at a high-level facility for their addiction to hoarding. If you were to write down on a piece of paper all the things that the Indiana Republicans yes. have done, and you handed that to somebody in another state and say, which party is this? Which political party would do this in Indiana? Most people would say it would be the Democrats. Sure, absolutely. And they have an addiction, a very serious that they need to seek help for, addiction to hoarding, because that's what they're doing with our money, which is hoarding it. Of course, they were sitting on uh, now over $1,500 of our money. They acted like they deserved a parade in the heart of downtown Indianapolis for giving us $200 back. And yet they're spending their summer hammer not, uh, you know, let's figure out how we rein in power of the governor so we never have another 2020 ever again. Let's not figure out how we get property taxes and property assessments that are totally out of control, under control. Let's not figure out how we reform radical lunatics in the public education sphere, which are dominating. Let's not figure out how we give people their money back. No, they're sending, spending their time in the Summer Study Committee figuring out how to give illegal immigrants in Indiana driver's licenses. And according to Indiana Capital Chronicle, the people in charge have said, this is absolutely going to come up next year for a vote. They're trying to give illegal immigrants driver's license hammer at a cost of $1 million plus to you, the taxpayer, to implement. Now, once one has a driver's license from the state, can you then register to vote? Now, they're saying no, but it's always a step process, right? And here's the question. Again, in supposedly deep red Indiana, because the, the excuse was that Karakoff was the representative who said this. Well, you know, they're going to be driving anyway. So if they're going to be uh, driving anyway, then, you know, we might as well be able to keep track of them and, and know what they're uh, and know what they're doing and know where they are. I love that Karakop sounded like Kip from Napoleon I Dynamite. I think that was the guy that said it. I can't remember. All these underachievers <laughs> run together. I think that was who it was. I don't know. Somebody may correct me. But the point is, how is it that Florida and Texas and Arizona have figured out how to deal with this, which is you don't just have to tolerate that they're here. You don't just have to go, oh, no, it's fine. You know, there's nothing we can do about it anyway, so we might as well just embolden them. Hammer. The Indiana Republican Party is proposing that they take $1 million plus, $1 million. So when you go to the BMV and you pay that overpriced fee for a driver's license or a boat and you get the terrible service, you're paying $1 million of your money to help illegal immigrants <laughs> drive illegally on the road. <laughs> Can you stick around? Yes, absolutely. He is completely off the rails. He's Rob Kendall. We're coming right back. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. We are back. We are going off the rails with Rob Kendall of the Kendall and Casey Show. Rob, where are we at with Governors DeSantis and Abbott dropping off the migrants at Martha's Vineyard, at Kamala's house? Where are we at with this? It is what leaders should be doing. And you look at look at the governors of those states and how they have acted compared to the Indiana or the I'm sorry, the National Republican Party as a collective, and certainly compare them to what we're seeing here in and have seen here in Indiana. The governors led. They didn't ask permission. They didn't worry about, oh, what will the political fallout be about this? Will the media write mean things about me? They just did the stuff. Because I love the narrative, like in Florida, I saw they said, 
oh, Ron DeSantis could be in big trouble. Hispanic voters could be very upset about this. Like, how racist is it to assume that every person who's Hispanic will be upset that illegal immigrants who are sucking their tax dollars and services, right. like, they're going to be upset? Why would you be upset about that? There's a lot of Hispanics, and we've talked about this on the show, who have done things the right way, and they see these folks trying to cheat the system. Like, folks who did things legally and waited years to get their citizenship and do it the proper way, they look at these people, they want to give them the finger too. It is fascinating to me, the leadership you see in Florida, and this is what is just blows my mind, because we all know Lockdown McGee wanted to be in politics since he was old enough to tie his shoes. That's his whole life. That's Governor whole Holcomb, yes. yes. right. You can call him whatever you want to call him. Um, <laughs> I was the one that dubbed him yeah, that, Lockdown that's McGee. Right. Donald Rainwater would be governor right now if he had used that line in the debate. Uh, but the point is, he could have been DeSantis, right? Like, DeSantis hasn't done anything. There's been no brilliant tax plan. There's been no incredible infrastructure plan. There's not, like, these things he would go, oh, my gosh, the world's smartest man is running Florida, and that's why he's, you know, the front runner or one of the front runners for the Republican nominee for president. He's just done common sense stuff that put taxpayers first and put liberty and freedom first. It could have been Eric Holcomb. It could have been any of these governors. And for some reason, all these people who so want to be powerful and in politics have chosen not to grab the brass ring, and I don't understand it. Got about a minute left here, and I want to give credit where credit is due. Uh -huh. You came on my sports betting yes. TV show last Sunday. You filled in for Scott Long yeah. on all Indiana bets. And even though we told you this was an NFL show, you came to the table yeah. with a golf bet. Yeah. We laughed at you. We mocked you. And damn it, you won. It uh, Look, I, I've been candid about this. I am... Uh... Well, you know, to steal a line from Caddyshack, when it comes to most sports betting, I'm not good. I stink. <laughs> not good. But when it comes to golf, I am one of the great golf betters in the entire Fruited Plain. And it was it took one of the great chokes in golf history for it to uh, to work out. Hey, but, but you know what? How many times have you been on the it, other it, end of that? Exactly. Though? I turned it off on the Danny Willett choke for the Max Homa <laughs> victory. And my dad sends me a text and goes, can you believe the end of that golf? And I thought, what is he talking about? And I turned it on and saw the replay. And I was like Sid Caesar at the end of Vegas vacation. <laughs> I won. I won. I won the money. I won the money. <laughs> great pick, my friend. Hopefully people made money. You. Your son did great yesterday, by the way. Oh, thank you. I appreciate I that. I enjoyed it. And I love that he put the moves on Tommy Lahren. <laughs> I love that. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Good for him. He took a shot. Uh, what's coming up on the show tomorrow? Well, there's a new study out that says, out of Britain, that says a four-day work week did not uh, result in a loss of productivity, so better known as every week on the Hammer and Nigel show, because uh, <laughs> you're the only one that's ever here. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's the Kendall and Casey show, Monday through Friday, 9 to noon. Rob, thank you. Thank you. It's the Hammer and Nigel show. Be sure to catch us every weekday, 3 to 7, on 93 WIBC, or subscribe and get it right to your phone.